Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 145. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. session we will begin our study of Noah and his famous ark. But before we get there we got to get through chapter 5. I'm not going to read this to you. It may be one of the more boring parts of the Bible. Uh, virtually the whole chapter is just a list of who came after Adam and that they died. Um, and uh, so um, you can read at least as well as I can. I'll just point out a couple of things from verse, uh, excuse me, from chapter 5, verse 24. We are introduced briefly to a character named Enoch. And Enoch, unlike all of the many, many people that are listed before him, um, it says he did... Uh, it says literally, when Enoch walked with, then Enoch walked with God at the end of his life, and he was no longer here, for God took him. So Enoch then went where? Uh, so was it Abraham's bosom? Was it uh, was it heaven as we know it? Well, we know that he is with the Lord, so that at least acknowledges that there's another state, if you will, other than life or death on this uh on this earth and uh then he had a he had um a kid named Methuselah and here's bible trivia for you who is the oldest person listed in the bible it's a guy named Methuselah mentioned in verse 26 and he is 969 years old. Now, you'll note in this in this chapter that the ages of these folks are are quite long, right? So is that meant to be literal? I don't know. Uh the church hasn't defined that and they probably won't. Uh it could just mean giving respect to the ancestors by giving them long mythical lives or or whatever. Um I suppose if you want to try to justify these longer ages, you could um, count on, or you know, you might consider that there was no pollution back then. The gene, gene pool was not as messed up uh, at that time. There was no hole in the ozone layer, etc. Uh, you don't have to take this literalistically. And again, I would refer you to these, the book Hard Sayings by Trent Horn, which explains all of these uh, things that, um, you know, uh, might raise your eyebrows, you know, the long ages of people, etc. Now, chapter six begins with probably the, uh, the weirdest, uh, thing, um, in, in scripture, perhaps the strangest thing in the Bible. And uh, I'm I'm going to let you read on your own verses two and three, but it basically summarizes. It says uh, the when man began. Well, I'll read it to you. The first couple of verses. When man began to multiply on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of heaven 
saw how beautiful the daughters of man were. And so they took for their wives as many as they chose. So are these sons of heaven? Would they have been, uh, you know, the demons who chose to uh, not follow God, but rather follow uh, follow Satan? Uh, we, we know that, uh, you know, they also had a free will at that point. And we're told that one third of the angels of heaven chose to follow Satan. Anyway... So, uh, and, and they took for their wives as many of them as they chose. So that's kind of an evil thing, right? And verse three, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not remain in man forever since he is but flesh. His days shall comprise 120 years. So that's in chapter six. Now, remember we said early on that there were several different authors uh, different sources of these uh, these passages in Genesis. Uh, we will see later when we get to chapter 11 that, uh, you know, the people have long lives again. So uh, that suggests, that is one suggestion as to uh, why there might be a different author from chapter 11 than from chapter 6. We won't worry about that. So do you have to believe that Methuselah actually lived to be 969 years? No, you don't. But at the same time, uh, you don't want to say, well, that couldn't happen because, once again, God is God. He can do it any way he wants. Okay, so, um, by the way, that this origin of the Nephilim uh, these sons of heaven. That is just one uh, explanation of what of of what the author is trying to say. There are others, and um, I'm not going to even bother spending a lot of time on it because it it doesn't apply to our doctrine. And this is, after all, first and foremost, a Catholic doctrine Bible study. But we see in verse five, the Lord saw how great. Man's wickedness was on earth, and how no and how no desire that his heart conceived was ever anything but evil. So it's pretty bad. It says he regretted that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was grieved. So again, this is from the source that likes to anthropomorphize God. Okay, I, I obviously, uh, you know, I think that uh, he didn't, he didn't actually regret that he made man. If he truly did, he would have wiped them all out, right? But uh, who does he see? Uh, in verse 9, Noah was a good man and blameless in that age, and he had begotten three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, by the way, is thought to have been the first or the father of the Semites, that is to say, the Jewish people and the people of that region. Ham was thought to be the father, the progenitor of the the blacks, you know, in Africa, Hamites. And Japheth was thought to be the father of, you know, I guess the Europeans, you know, the, the whatever's left. Okay. Um that's the that's the story anyway. Uh okay. What 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 can we get from a doctrinal standpoint out of all this? Well, that we are all related. 
that we are all children of God, whether we're Jewish, whether we're black, whether we're some kind of European or Asian or whatever, we are all part of the same family. So that makes us all what? Brothers and sisters. Uh, and so that is the reason why we need to be good to each other and take care of each other because God made us all and loves us all equally. That's kind of the, the point of that. So uh, Noah finds favor, and I'm not going to read the story to you, but uh, we see this big ark being made, and um, this Noah is, uh, you know, kind of an imperfect Christ figure in the sense that because of his actions, mankind finds uh, salvation. Now we're going to get to the flood story from chapter, uh, you know, 613 uh, to 814. I'm not going to read that to you. I'm sure you're probably uh, somewhat familiar with it. But um, before we get into the actual story, did the flood story really happen the way it was written? Uh, I have a friendship with a per person who says, hey, uh, this is just borrowed from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was a, an older story. Well, uh, there are elements, to be sure, that are uh, congruent with that story. Uh, I will say parenthetically, it seems that all ancient um, peoples have some sort of a flood account, which gives credence to the idea that there really was a, uh, a flood. Um, by the way, uh, in Meridian, Texas, which is about 300 miles inland from the coast, you can, you can barely take a step without stepping on seashells, which suggests that uh, much more of the world was covered with um, water than currently is the case. And that jives very well with the creation account as well as perhaps the flood story. Uh, but um, let me tell you a little bit about this Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, in this much older story, um, I'm, it, it, we've got many gods creating the world haphazardly while they're fighting amongst themselves. So there's an obvious difference between that and the Bible, where there is one God, he's, he's, he has no one to fight with, he is just creating, right? So, uh, but in the Epic of Gilgamesh story, outside the, of Bible tradition, um, you know, yeah, there, there's, a, uh, there's creation, but it's, it's partly good and part of creation is bad, whereas in our story, of course, God is all good, and everything that he makes is good. In the Epic of Gilgamesh story, humans are no, no more than slaves of the gods. The gods are unpredictable. These gods find humans annoying. Uh, humans could never be sure how to please their gods or what angered them. And in their flood account, this Epic of Gilgamesh, if I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. People were making too much noise and woke the gods up. And so that's what made them cause the flood. So um, is it true that there is some overlap between the, the two uh, stories? Uh, yeah, 
you know, that there was a, a godlike force that created a, a flood. But why he did it and who did it and what is the personality, if you will, of that god, the characteristics of those gods, radically different than in our own. Our god creates out of love. Our god is always the same. He's not unpredictable. Our god is easy to forgive and he only punishes when people have done wrong. He's not capricious. He doesn't just say, oh, they're making too much noise down there. They woke me up. I'm going to do something. So God wants to save Noah, but in the Gilgamesh account, the hero has to escape from God who's trying to kill him. So um, again, uh, as we said with the creation account, we're going to see two uh, two flood accounts. And the fundamentalist view um, doesn't generally recognize that, okay? Um, it, it, the rationalist view uh, says it couldn't have happened uh, in the ways described in the Bible here. Uh, the fundamentalist view said it had to have happened that way. And once again, the Catholic Church basically says, hey, God is God, we are not this account gives us some timeless truths, this, this account that we're about to read. And the timeless truth, the greater truth in the story, is that God punished sin, rewarded Noah's faith in him, and provided a way for his salvation. Okay, And another point, Noah did what he was told. He didn't try to logic it out. Okay. So um, I, I just want you to look at the symbolism of these, of these uh, stories, okay? Um, so uh, put yourself in Noah's place. You know, it hasn't rained in a long time, right? And God tells, tells him, make an ark, okay? You got to have a lot of faith to put all, that, all those man hours in, into doing that. But uh, the hero of our story, Noah... He he tr he knows that God is God and he is not, and he does what he is told. Does he understand it? No. So what's the message for us today? We don't always understand God's plan. Sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, why would you take a lesser paying job, for example, to serve the church, which is what one of my daughters uh, has done? So uh, it's because of a greater calling. It might not make a lot of sense. It certainly wouldn't make a lot of sense to other people. But uh, God calls us to different things. And Noah answered that call. Okay, so now we're on to the uh, chapter 7 uh, of, of this story. Uh, by the way, uh, in chapter 6, verse 19, you're supposed to bring, of all other living creatures, you're supposed to bring two into the ark, one male and one female, and you may keep them alive with you. Um, you're, you're supposed to, um, uh, you know, he, God is making a, a covenant with him. And uh, so he wants him to bring in, uh, you know, the animals into the ark. Okay, there's going to be a little little different uh, thing. Um, so that's about all I want to say about chapter six. Uh, 
Now in chapter 7, it says, of every clean animal, take with you seven pairs. So there's a differentiation between animals in general, which is two, and clean animals take seven pairs. And of the unclean animals, one pair, a male and its mate. So is that an addition in chapter 7 by perhaps another, another uh, source? Or is it just clarifying that the clean animals you get seven and the unclean animals you, you get two? Okay. And we see, and, and that's an open question, all right? It's a rhetorical question. Then at verse four, um, he says, um, seven days from now, I'll bring rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So keep that in mind. 40 days and 40 nights. What is 40? 40 is a time of preparation. We will see this and have seen this over and over in the Bible. 40 is a time of preparation. Moses wandering, Moses and the Israelites wandering for 40 years. Moses, uh, 40 days on the mountain before he received the, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Elijah, Jesus in the New Testament in the wilderness for 40 days. So it's a time of preparation. Okay. And we know it starts raining. And it's quite a dramatic story. I'm not going to read it to you because... You probably know the story reasonably well, and uh, also it's quite a dramatic story, and you can uh, enjoy that drama by reading itself. Now, in chapter 8, it says the waters maintained their crest over the earth for 150 days. 150 days, and ultimately... The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. This is in verse 4 of chapter 8. Mountain of Ararat is in Turkey. Uh, there, is, uh, more than, there are more than a few scholars who maintain that there are remnants of the Ark of the Covenant still up there in Turkey. But the Turkish government apparently will not allow for excavation of that area. Uh, perhaps you've seen something like that on the Discovery Channel. Well, I note that uh, my discovery is that we're about out of time. So we'll continue on this next time. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the example of Noah, who was righteous and who didn't question you. You had a plan for his life. He followed that plan. And so we ask that you give us the grace and the strength and the wisdom to follow your plan, even though it may not be our plan uh, immediately. Uh, we know that you will be with us and we know that you will save us for eternity as you did with Noah when we trust in you as Noah did and follow you. That we thank you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.